Welcome everyone to 12 Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world covering Pac-12 football news and now Pac-12 basketball news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio. Thank you for joining us. And uh, football season is over, but we still have much to talk about. There's some really good stories that have uh, just emerged out of nowhere and we're going to cover them and we're going to give you our pac 12 north offensive all-stars i am joined as always by the delicious mr rob bauer what's going on rob uh, i'm excited let's get ready for some uh, pac 12 basketball um we're not ready i don't know <laughs> no, so we're I'm, still, I'm still in mourning for football, but yes, let's do some let's do some hoops. <laughs> College football is so fun, and when it's gone, it's like ah. Uh, I mean, it was crazy because the off season Rob came so fast, and we had prepared for it. We did our preview. We brought guests on. We were talking about the season. I know that the season kind of went downhill, and so we threw some darts at some teams. But I think it was uh, it was well deserved. And now that it's gone, it's like oh man. I want like a I want a, I want Washington back in my life. I like that defense. That was fun. It was fun to kind of poke a little a little fun at Jake Browning and uh, and like Utah had a fun defense and it was cool to see their I don't know like their quarterback was fun and then he got hurt. Yeah, all, all that stuff is is going to be sorely missed and and all the jokes and everything. So we're bummed about that. But college basketball has by far the best off season tournament in the world. And we are joined by a third person, Mr. Rick Powell. What's going on, Rick? Well, Brian, I ate way better than the Clemson National Championship football team did at the White House tonight, so I'm obviously living my best life. That, that was a fit, that was a fitting end to the the football season. Have some have some Wendy's late. <laughs> I um I was watching the Duke stay uh the duke uh syracuse game and it went to overtime and i could not stop looking at twitter and just looking up all of the memes and videos of our president talking about mcdonald's and wendy's and <laughs> how great it was like i just couldn't like good and bad just just take that this is not a political statement it was a it was just so fun to watch <laughs> it's like dying going through and also all of a sudden it's like oh somebody from stanford hit a three-point with the guy in his face like i don't even care about this anymore i just just have to be glued to this this party here um guys let's talk about some news in the pac-12 football world and then let's kind of break into the basketball season and just give a snapshot of where the league is but let's start it off fun one of my favorite stories this week was the fact that mike leach wants to teach a class and i'm like okay this is this is already good i'd very much like to hear what what this class entails and his class is on leadership lessons in insurgent warfare and football strategy rick of all the things that you thought mike leach would teach is this in the in the ballpark of reality sign me up 100 percent. if i could audit the course online i would i would sign up for it right now i would i would i would pay a lot of money just to go to grad school to take that class it was, it was amazing, and we totally just skipped over Cliff Kingsbury leaving. <laughs> like way more important, not really. The Mike Leach, the Mike Leach causes way more important. So the required pre-class reading. There's a syllabus online that Mike Leach tweet, uh, tweeted out. It's counterinsurgency warfare theory and practice, jungle of snakes, a century of counterinsurgency warfare from the Philippines to Iraq, and of course. Swing Your Sword, Leading the Charge in Football and Life by one Michael Leach. Rob, have you had a chance to look at the syllabus? I, I did. I actually I have a degree in history, uh, 
of one of my many undergraduate degrees, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> I did look at the syllabus. <laughs> I, um, I don't know. It really reminded me. I'm going to date myself here. I was I was an undergraduate at the University of New Mexico, and Fran Fraschilla was still coaching there. And, and uh, he thought it would be fun to teach a class on the Civil War. <laughs> and the university was like, ha, ha, no way. Um, so it's interesting that Washington State it might say, sure, we'll we'll let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wonderful. Like, so you have there are all these different classes and he's actually laid them out what you're going to learn. And literally every single one is is basically like the first class, which is the Arab revolt against the Ottoman Empire in World War One and case study game planning and film breakdown of Washington State versus USC in 2017. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, you should definitely sign up just to see Mike Leach break down film and do game planning. I mean, for sure. Um, I'd be I, I took I actually took a class from a uh, on uh, insurgency encounters or insurgency from a guy that worked for the State Department funding weapons to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and then got laid off like after the fall of the communist bloc. They're like, oh, it turns out we don't need you anymore. Um I, I would be interested to see like the differences between that guy's class, uh, which also oddly enough landed me on a terror watch list because I read the Al Qaeda handbook and I checked it out from University Library. <laughs> nice. Bad news. <laughs> so for, for for like five years, I was the guy that always got randomly security checked. Um, no, I'd be I'd be interested, but like I mean, I would I would I would pay money to watch Mike Leach break down film and, and see what his game planning is like. There's a class assignment, and it says prepare a seven slide presentation on recommendations for U.S. policy in Yemen. And the next bullet point, I kid you not, is design three proposed football plays, including one in the red zone for Washington State. Rick, would you <laughs> dare put together a running play for this class? No, Brian, I definitely wouldn't design a run play, but I do think that this is my opportunity to shine. I mean, he's basically accepting <laughs> accepting the opportunities for new coaches and, and new innovative designs. And if Cliff Kingsbury can get hired as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, I can definitely design one red zone pass play to, to catch the attention of Mike Leach. <laughs> Always a, a play action tight end rollout. Man, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and Mike Leach didn't even play football. So, yeah, he's always looking for good talent. Uh, maybe this is the covert way of getting an offensive coordinator. Now, I'm, I'm so excited about this, and I'm really hoping that this actually comes to fruition, and I would very much watch the live stream of this. Um, anything else on this before we get into some more depressing news? Bring on the depression. <laughs> well, let's start with the first one. So uh, if you are a regular subscriber to 12-Pack Radio or Wildcat Radio, you know that we released a <laughs> uh, an episode that said our breakdown of Cliff Kingsbury leaving USC, and it was just the full uh, uh, My Heart Will Go On in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was great. Uh, we also needed to keep our feet up, so I thought that would be a good way of doing that. But we haven't talked about that. So Cliff Kingsbury out at USC after, I think it was a couple weeks. Uh, it was interesting. I was listening to, to some podcasts, and they reminded me that it's not the shortest tenure of a major coach at uh, at USC in the Record is set by Rick Majerus, who was the head basketball oh, coach for five yeah. days. I know, I know. He would have been awesome there, by the way, uh, but ended up going to St. Louis. Um, Rob, what did you think about the news, and where does USC go from here? 
I, I guess I, I would say I'm I'm a little surprised, of course. I mean, I think everyone was a little surprised. Um, but then again, I mean, Kingsbury has, has put up offensive numbers. I mean, you have to go all the way back to when he had top talent when he was at Texas A&M and he was the OC for Kevin Sumlin. But Kingsbury's put up some numbers that compare very well with what Lincoln Riley or um, Mike's Lo- Mike Loxley was able to do at Alabama this last season. And that's that's tough to do. And you're if you're a NFL team, I guess you figure, I mean, the Trojans were definitely figuring this play, you know, pair Cliff Kingsbury's offense with, you know, a decent defense and, and you've got something. So um, we'll see. I, I'm interested to see how much he enjoys the NFL. Uh, if this doesn't work out and if he's, you know, wants to go back into college, there are some coaches that uh, realize that they don't enjoy recruiting and never come back. Rick, you are a savant of the Arizona Cardinals. Is that true? No. <laughs> all right well uh, you live in phoenix so what do you think about that <laughs> yeah i mean like i'll watch them occasionally i went to a game this year so yeah i guess i'm the, the biggest savant in the room at the moment. <laughs> um, no i think probably like my takeaway from from that whole story was just kind of like how much it was thrust into the limelight how much of uh it is amateur hour for lynn swan over there as the athletic director at usc I mean, it came out that Cliff Kingsbury only had a $150,000 buyout written into his contract if he'd left, um, which made it really, really easy for the Arizona Cardinals to write a check. Um, you, you know, on top of that, like, um, you know, you hire him on as your offensive coordinator, everything signed, sealed, delivered. And then once he starts garnering some of those head coaching job interests, uh, you, you place the block uh, on him as well, which also made national news. The fact that you tried to block him from taking meetings with uh, professional NFL teams, that's ultimately what backfired and, you know, forced Cliff Kingsbury's hand. You're not going to turn down an opportunity to talk to NFL head coaches, whether you're going to take those jobs or not. But at that point he had no opportunity, but to look for another job. If I were, if I were hiring just somebody awesome and they had an opportunity to, work at like their dream job i mean you gotta at least give them the chance to interview i I don't know yeah i'm a big like i want usc to be good i think the conference is better when usc is good it's one of the programs that can recruit really well i want them to have a good coaching staff i was excited about cliff kingsbury being the offensive coordinator i thought and rob we've talked about this too on past podcasts and um so it's it's hard to to it's hard to take in what like a USC fan is feeling right now. And so I almost have to outsource this to the Raina Troy podcast and Alicia Deartola because I'm sure they are going nuts right now in terms of what's going on there. But as of now, Rob, USC hasn't picked up a new offensive coordinator, right? No. Um, and there's some names that have been thrown around. I mean, I think the name that probably would be easiest and makes the most sense. And uh, I mean, a guy that I'm surprised has been picked up uh, thus far as Jed Fish, who was the offensive coordinator at UCLA during uh, Jim Mora's last year, really turned that offense around, particularly throwing the football. Um, I, I, I think he's an interesting, innovative name that I think uh, he's not Cliff Kingsbury, obviously, um, but he's a name that could really, I think, put a uh, put a big improvement for USC out on the field next season. Um, another name would be, um, oh, it's not, I'm forgetting what Texas Tech, Texas Tech's offensive new offensive coordinator who was just at um, Utah State uh, and uh, went with Matt Wells uh, when he moved from Utah State. He's an interesting guy, uh, not really running a pure air raid um, offense, but definitely runs an up tempo spread, throws the ball around. Um, I think that's that's another name to watch out for. Uh, oh, David Yost. 
David Yost? Yeah, that's it. David Yost. Yeah. Isn't that the name of the guy that was the Blue Power Ranger like a long time ago? <laughs> I, think, I think it was David Yost. <laughs> anyway. But I mean, a lot of a lot of folks have really settled in. I mean, and, uh, you know, Oklahoma State's offensive coordinator has moved on to a bigger, better job. I mean, a lot of the guys that you think of, you could go just pick up um, from sort of like a, a you know, top 25 type program, but not USC, uh, have already done them, have already made their move this season. I mean, Phil Longo went from, um, uh, Ole Miss, uh, to UNC to work for Mac Brown and Mac Brown put together a surprisingly good staff at UNC. But, um, I mean, there's, there's not a lot. I mean, if, if Rich Rodriguez just got hired on to be the, uh, the OC at Ole Miss, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of guys that haven't already made their move. I know one of the guys that was floated around for a little bit was Mike Sanford, who was over at uh, Western Kentucky, and I think he got fired. I got to remember and look back, but he I think did. W- he did. Yeah. One of the problems, though, is that Clay Helton has a lot of ties. I think to Western Kentucky. I was, I think, I was listening to the Rain Detroit podcast. They're bringing this up, where it's kind of hard for them to be able to bring him on because Helton has already been criticized for bringing on so many people that he knows. So this kind of fits in there. So that kind of gets him off uh, off of the list. I don't know. I I just really want them to get somebody that can get that offensive offense moving. But I've had so many questions about JT Daniels anyway. So JT Daniels, even under Cliff Kingsbury, I'm like, all right, is this going to be able to, is this going to actually work? Um, Rick, if you could hire one person at, uh, at USC to be their offensive coordinator, that would be kind of realistic. Who would it be? <laughs> um, realistic at this like, I, I don't know rob kind of hit the nail on the head at this point like a lot of the guys have made made their moves um at, uh, at, at this point like the the national spotlight is really on lynn swan just because of the story and how it became kind of a bigger story than it needed to be um so it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see the direction that he goes i would i, I don't know i i think a, a a guy like a mike sanford would be super interesting there just to kind of see what he can do, um, you know, with a little bit more resources. Uh, you know, he did have a couple of good years at Western Kentucky. He was mentioned uh, as, as a candidate for the Arizona job at one point as well. So yeah, I, I would probably go in that direction, like a young kind of up and comer rather than somebody who uh, would necessarily make a big splash with the media. Cause at this point, I think they kind of just need the story to go away. It's a bummer because somebody like Neil Brown, who was the coach at Troy, he had the NASCAR offense. Like there were some people that got picked up like four weeks ago or three months ago where it would have been awesome to see USC maybe put in a bid there for that. But they have so much money. It's just like, uh, I don't know. I, they, they're in a tough spot because this happens so late in the process. So um, hopefully they find somebody good. Any last words here, Rob? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I think what's even more interesting, and I think, is that I mean, this was the centerpiece of Clay Helton's sort of staff revamp that was supposed to be about you know why Len Swan kept him on to, for this year and didn't fire him. And it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, with with Kingsbury gone, um, you know, the the revamp really doesn't look so big. I mean, even though there are a lot of new names, I think on staff, um, and it it really makes you wonder what what happens next year. I, I, I really do believe you can go out and hire scheme uh, in football, even more so on offense. And I think Kingsbury would make it was going to make a big difference for USC next season and just pure competency. Uh, but I, 
I, I, I'm skeptical now. I mean, I, I think you can go out and you, you can hire Jed Fish. He'll make a big difference. Um, not quite as big as I, I would have expected Kingsbury to, to make. But um, I don't know if that is good enough to get USC to like the double-digit wins that Helton probably needs. You know who has an offensive coordinator, Rob? The Utah Utes, Sandy Ludwig, coming on. I forgot that we uh, forgot about that. <laughs> he left. Yeah. He so for people that don't know that we have a lot of Utah fans. So thanks for listening, uh, Utah. So you guys know this, but so he left Utah after the thirteen and zero Sugar Bowl. He was the offensive coordinator there under Urban Meyer. He went over to Cal, had a stint at San Diego State, spent two years at Wisconsin as the offensive coordinator, and then for the last three years, three or four years, he's been at Vandy uh, holding it down there, trying to get Derek Mason's offense rolling. What do you think about the higher-up? I like it. I I mean, I thought he had a good offense at Vanderbilt, um, and I mean, full disclosure, I went to graduate school at Vanderbilt. It's a tiny, tiny undergraduate institution. It is very hard to put together a uh, it's nothing like any other school in the sec it's very hard to put together a winning football program there Derek mason's you know put together a very good by vanderbilt standard football program there and it was it was offense first this year i thought ludwig did a very good job you know when you look at the smp and i apologize rob i just didn't have the beta rank dating back to 2012 <laughs> but so i pulled the smp uh, basically the offensive advanced statistics on his track record over time. So after he left Cal at San Diego state in 2012, they had the 71st offense. He moved over to Wisconsin. They had the 26th and 24th offense, uh, best offense in the country. And then this is kind of cool. So at Vandy, he got there in 2015 and Vandy ranked 116th and the next year they were 89th. The next year they were 73rd. And like you mentioned, Rob, they had a really strong offensive system this year. They were 40th in the country. And we think of offense, you don't think of Vanderbilt. <laughs> is that right, Rick? Yeah, no, I, I definitely didn't ever think I'd see the day where I would be looking forward to seeing some of that SEC offense injected into the Pac-12. <laughs> um, but after some of the disastrous offenses we saw this past, past season, um, it's definitely not going to hurt anything. So I, I, you throwing out some of those advanced statistics definitely intrigues me. I'm definitely going to be keeping a closer eye on Utah, at least through this spring, just to kind of see what uh, what it is he's going to bring to the table. And then, uh, you know, I, I think Utah was probably already hands-on favorite just as far as everybody that they have coming back for the Pac-12 South next year. If they have a dynamic offense rolling, they could be really dangerous. Yeah, speaking of offensive coordinators, looking at you, Cal. Looking at you, Cal. Get it together. <laughs> uh, let's move on here. So uh, a couple in- interesting stories. I think the first one we have to d- definitely mention and that's that Doug Brenner, a former Oregon offensive lineman, is suing Oregon Willie Taggart and their strength coach. Um, basically, he claimed that Willie Taggart was, uh, quote, intent on giving players workouts, so they uh, had to quit, basically. He said, my urine was like coffee or Coca-Cola after one of the practices. He, of course, was one of the three players that ended up in the hospital before the season started. And uh, the strength coach, by the way, is still at uh, Florida State when Willie Taggart sprinted over there which is alarming. Um, He claims that players were instructed by Taggart after the hospitalization to not talk publicly about what happened. Rob, this is, this is uh, so bad on so many levels. This is one person talking by the way. So I would like to hear the, the other side, but this is, I mean, these are all like quotes on record with a lawyer uh, to a national or like a statewide media outlet. This was the Oregonian that reported this. What do you think? 
Oh no, this was I mean, this was this was bad when it happened and yeah. Willie Taggart looked like a massive jerk. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but he basically exiled the Oregonians beat reporter, uh, Andrew Grief. Um and wouldn't talk to him again after Grief broke the story, um, accused Grief of making it up, like, you know, like, and it was, the university looked into it, uh, basically slapped Taggart on the wrist. So, I, I mean, the University of Oregon deserves a little legal comeuppance <laughs> for this because they did not really uh, crack down on Taggart's sort of boorish behavior uh, after the fact. But um, this was pretty well reported when it happened. This isn't, I mean, they, the, I think the university and Willie Tiger had to have been expecting to get lawsuits out of this eventually because um, it was pretty well documented. The university did hand down, you know, some pretty slap on the wrist discipline from from their findings on it. Um, the strength coach, I think, was was suspended for a little bit. Uh, and he, it's funny because I don't think he has any certifications whatsoever. It's just some guy that decided to become a strength coach, um, and. Yeah, he, he went with Willie Taggart to FSU. It's this is this is one that um, I think what's most interesting is is the question that uh, John Conzano uh, uh, put out there, which is you know how much shelter is the university going to try to give Willie Taggart um, on this, or are they just going to you know sort of hang him out to dry? They might, right? Because he's bounced so quickly. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no there's no love loss between. Oregon and Willie Taggart. Um, and in particular, I mean, this, this situation, I mean, it was, it was horrible what had happened. And then like the way he handled it, which was basically to accept no responsibility and then blame the reporter who broke the story was, was pretty ridiculous. I'm just curious to watch this as it progresses and we'll make sure to keep an eye on it. But particularly with what happened at Maryland, I think the more, um, the more scrutiny that's placed on just, just overworking these like 18 and 19 year olds, uh, the better, but we'll see. I mean, I, I would like to see the response from Taggart that hasn't come out yet. This literally dropped today. So I want to make sure like be very clear, Rick, it seems to be a pretty regular process for coaches to, um, try to get players like particularly new coaches to try to get some of the players that they don't want on their program anymore to leave so they can open up those scholarships uh and it's just always so awkward it's like not the player's fault that a new coach came in i think a good example of this without you know without all the ramifications that we just talked about was chip kelly like the the two the two running backs that he had uh, ola mafunmi and uh and sasso jambo like didn't see the field for the last six or seven games period and joshua kelly came in and was a monster as a walk-on from uc davis how does a program deal with these players like what what's the best possible situation for somebody that you know maybe doesn't fit with the program or isn't good enough like I think at, at, at Arizona, for example, there was this idea when Miller came of being Arizona ready um, in terms of who they were recruiting. So then you got these players that, you know, Lute Olson had recruited that weren't quite up to the standard. It's just it gets so awkward. What's a good situation? To, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but. Well, no, I, I think it's actually a pretty easy answer, and that's that you take away the transfer eligibility rules for players. If coaches are allowed to bounce from program to program, players should be allowed to do so as well without ramifications. Sometimes the only reasons why these players stick around is because they don't have the eligibility or the grades or the ability to transfer elsewhere uh, uh, when these coaches come in. So you have, you know, a you already have a, 
a scenario where there's, you know, a disaster for, or, you know, the possibility of a disaster as far as personalities clashing or as far as scheme, you know, players to fit your proper offense or your proper defense, whatever it is. But, you know, if, if there were no ramifications for people transferring, um, you know, then, then you would probably be able to avoid a lot more of those situations. The, the thing that bothers me the most about the Willie Taggart case is where I read that the players, the reasons why they, they developed Rabdo was because they were denied water during, you know, that, that first day of workouts, um, which is absolutely ludicrous in, in my mind. Like, I don't think that you can find a strength and conditioning coach in America who would recommend performing a workout without hydrating uh, heavily beforehand and, and afterwards. I mean, that's just common science these days. And so the fact that something like that went on and can continue to go on definitely is something that needs to be stamped out. And hopefully, um, you know, it's through a large settlement with these players. I believe Sam Patusi, who's also, um, yeah. I, I think he's also filed a lawsuit against Doug Brenner um, and Willie Taggart, is still with the Oregon football team. Um, and so, you, you know, who, who knows what, you know, lingering effects these players will have uh, throughout their lives because of this one workout. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. And what I'd like to do is send out the bat signal for uh, the Quack 12 podcast or Hithliday or somebody from the Oregon program that we can talk to about it. Um, just because it is, it's interesting. I mean, like, and it's awful, but it's also interesting to see what the ramifications are from that. Because um, if if what happened actually happens, it will be a very good thing that this got brought to light in that, um, that there will be, uh, repercussions for it from whoever it was responsible. So anyway, just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was big. Hey guys, sorry about the abrupt ending to that podcast and to the depressing nature of that story, but we did think it was important to cover and we will continue to cover that in addition to Pac-12 football coverage in the off season. So stay tuned. We're definitely going to keep the podcast going as this rolls along. Uh, we have some offensive coordinator positions to keep an eye out for and obviously uh, departures and uh, the recruiting classes that are coming to all the teams. So a lot of stuff to cover on the football front. We'll make sure to do that. The one thing that I did want to highlight is that we're going to transition over to college basketball, which is something that we've definitely wanted to do. March Madness is awesome. I know that the Pac-12 conference isn't as talented as it's been in the past, but there are definitely some really good teams to look out for, and we'll definitely cover that. So the next podcast that we release, which will be right after this, will be... 100% 100% focus on college basketball. Um, the reason that we have this awkward transition is that uh, some of the stuff that we had covered in this podcast was college basketball related, but now it's old because we recorded this podcast about a week and a half ago. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll make sure to do another college football podcast as we go along. Um, but tune into the college basketball episode. I think it's gonna be really good. And we want to keep the the coverage fun. One of the uh, one of the things that we realized from our coverage this year and some of the comments and we definitely appreciate the feedback is that uh, we could get a little negative on the conference. We don't want to do that. Like we love college football and we love college basketball. So we want to kind of cover the college basketball front in the Pac-12 with a smiley face on, <laughs> even though we may only get two, uh, two teams in the conference. But there's definitely some things to celebrate and some, t- and some players to celebrate. And uh, we will be there with some contests and stuff. So tune in. But thanks for tuning in this week and we will catch you shortly.